0: your host, Gabriel Parker, and this is where the culture meets scripture. Full time with my plate, full time, full time. Clock in, never clock out. Clock in, never clock out. No way with the slackers. No, no way with the slackers. No, 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 no way with the slackers. Clock in, never clock out. Clock in, never clock out. Clock in, never clock out. Listen, I I really want to just hop into today's show. I have a lot of great information to cover with you guys today. And listen, I would highly recommend for you to take notes if you if you are a regular listener to the Path of Revelation show or podcast. You know, I I never ask you guys to take notes, but I think that this will be a good show for many of you to take notes because I believe the information that I'm going to share concerning this this particular topic will be life-changing for many of you. And I think it's very, very necessary, especially in times like this. And so today's show is dealing with the question, what are the promises of God? Does God promise Physical healing and wealth while we're here on earth to every believer and listen this is a this is such an important topic and many of us especially in times like this where we see so much death and despair and devastation around us because of this pandemic I know It has forced many of us to question what we believe or what we've been taught. And and so what I want to do today is I want to encourage you while at the same time challenging you. And my goal is that when you're done with this show, you have hope and confidence in God's promises and God's word. And understand that he will never leave you nor forsake you whether in the good or the bad see it would be one thing if God only proved himself by the nature of our circumstance and that would be great but the reality is we face hardships and trials and tribulations in this life and so I'm just so glad to know that God isn't just with me in the good times, but He's a present help in the time of need, in the bad times. And so the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the Word of God. And so one of the primary reasons for me doing a show on this topic is because. I believe that believing God said something that he didn't say can be just as detrimental to our walk with God as knowing God said something and not believing it. And so I think it's extremely important for us to understand the promises of God, especially in times like these. And so my goal with this show is for us to look at the Bible within its proper context. It's very easy to take scriptures out of context when we take a scripture out of an entire chapter or book without understanding the intent of the writer. What do I mean? It is important for us to understand who the writer is talking to. It's important for us to understand the issues that the writer is addressing. And so a lot of times for us to get the proper context of scripture, a lot of times it's not enough just to take a scripture out of a chapter without understanding what the chapter is about or the previous verses or even the verses after is addressing. And so the scriptures surrounding a scripture often gives context to the scripture itself. And so for us to properly apply a text to our life, we have to make sure that we have the proper context of the text. I believe that there are promises in the word of God that we as children of God can grab a hold to. And I believe some of those promises are for right now. And I believe some of those promises are for after this life. But one thing I'm confident of is that we can be confident in God, not just in the life to come. We don't have to wait for the next life to live a life of abundance. But I also believe that it is extremely important for us to define what abundance what an abundant life is. This is one of those topics and and I think is extremely important to rightfully defy the word of truth because when we when we get into, for example, defining what is prosperity according to the Bible, I have seen people turned away from the faith, Because the expectations that they had of God were not biblical. And the only reason that they had those expectations um, of God to do something was because they were taught that. And so I want to paint an, an honest picture. Of what our expectations should be of God and so I really want to tackle two particular things what is prosperity according to the Bible and then I want to address does the Bible promise physical healing to every believer in this life and so how do we define prosperity according to the Bible Well, first Timothy, chapter six, verse six through seven says, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and, and we cannot take anything out of the world. So what the Bible is saying, we shouldn't be defining success by how many, by how much earthly possessions we acquire. We shouldn't be defining success by how much money we have in our bank account or how many um, how big our house is or how great of a job or business we we have. These should not be the standards for how we define whether we're blessed or not. Because the text says we brought nothing in this world and we're going to take nothing out of it. And so the Bible lets us know that godliness with contentment is great gain. And and, and one of the dangers of defining or 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 defining whether or not we're blessed by material gain is the reality that there are people who do not serve God or fear God, who have great wealth, who have great possessions who have great businesses and great estates and investments and all of these things, but they don't know God. And so the, the reality is the Bible says in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the world but lose his soul? And so I truly believe when, when we begin to look For material gain as a sign of God's blessings we abandon righteousness and holiness because we equate gain earthly gain to godliness and not the fruit of the Spirit and so when we look at the word contentment it says godliness with contentment is great gain the word contentment means a state of satisfaction what does that mean biblically Contentment biblically is being complete and whole in Christ, finding our hope and our trust in Christ, having a mindset like Job had when he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He's he's my source in the good times. He's my source in the bad times. And so when we look at Philippians chapter four, verse 11, we're still dealing with biblical prosperity Philippians chapter 4 verse 11 through 13 says now that not that I am speaking of being in need now This is Paul writing from a prison cell He says not that I'm speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content He says I know how to be brought low and I know how to be brought high in any in every circumstance He says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And he goes on in verse 13 to say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so the context of biblical prosperity is a person who recognizes Christ as their source in the good and in the bad they don't get distracted by the trials and tribulations that are coming their way and th- and they and they don't turn away god turn away from god because of the bad times and they don't turn away from god because of the good times because how many know there's times in our lives where things th- where things can go good and those things will cause us to forget God. And we begin to think that the good things are happening because of us and not him. And so he says, whatever state I'm in, I've learned to be content. He's he says, I've learned to 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 depend to depend on God in the good and the bad. And so. True success, godly success has nothing to do with your zip code or what neighborhood you stay in. But it has everything to do with the posture of your heart before God. And listen, many of us have bought into a lie that some people are more blessed than us because they live in a better neighborhood than us, or they drive a better car than us or have a better job than us, or they're married and we're not married. They have kids and we don't have kids. Many of us have bought into this lie and really it's because of bad teaching. And not truly understanding. The scriptures or having a knowledge of what the scripture says it means to be blessed. And so one of the scriptures that I've seen taken out of context a lot is found in third John chapter one, verse two which says beloved i wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth i've heard this i've heard this scripture used so many times for money and material gain god wants you in a big house god wants you in a a, a, a new car God wants your bank account full. And listen, I'm not opposed to financial security and financial prosperity. That's not what I'm saying. But I think it's very dangerous. And we we actually do more damage to people when we make these things the standard for God's blessing, because what happens is we begin to compare ourselves to uh, to those around us. We begin to compare ourselves to our brother and sister in Christ. And we wonder why we all of these messages about jealousy and your haters are are such a hot topic or hot sermon in the church. Because on the front end, we're conditioning people to be jealous of each other. By telling them, hey, the standard for for being blessed is having a new car, car, a new house And so what happens is I begin to look at my brother and be like, man, he more blessed than me. He's doing something right and I'm not and I'm doing something wrong. And so what happens is I begin to condemn myself because I'm paying tithes. I'm giving offerings. I'm serving. Why does he why does he get this? And I'm stuck here. And so we set ourselves up for failure when we interpret the text the way we want to interpret them versus just reading what the text is actually saying. So when we look at third John, I want to read what it says before this chapter, before the, um, I want to read the verse before this verse. And I want to read the verses that come after so we can actually put this verse in its proper context. Again, we're still dealing with biblical prosperity, Verse one says the elder unto Gaius, who basically John is writing to um, one of the workers in one of the churches that he's overseeing. And so he's writing to Gaius and says, whom I love in the truth. He says, beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospereth." I don't see nothing about money here. Verse three, it says, for I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children or the church that I'm overseeing is walking in truth. Verse 5, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. So he's saying, you serve faithfully not just to the members of your church, but you serve strangers with the same intensity of love. Verse 6, he says, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom thou bring forward on their journey. After a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that from his name's sake, they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. So what is the prosperity that John is talking about in this chapter? The prosperity that he's referring to in this chapter is the fact that Gaius and the church Are abiding in the truth, that they're serving faithfully, and that they're not straying away from what was taught to them. That is the prosperity that is talking about in this chapter. That they're keeping strong in the faith, that they're sharing the gospel, that they're loving their neighbors as the Lord commanded us to, which is consistent with what scripture tells us to do. It says, love our, love your neighbor as thyself. Look, we have to begin to rightfully divide the word of truth. We don't have to impose our desires on the text to be blessed. The scriptures will bless us all by themselves. And so this is biblical prosperity, To trust in the Lord with all of our heart our mind and our mind and soul to love him with all of our heart mind and soul to be content whether in the good or the bad let's move on does the Bible promise physical healing though to every believer in this life first and foremost And I have to say this as I transition to the healing aspect, the physical healing aspect, because we see so many people suffering and and wrestling with sickness. Um, And I would even say even prior to this pandemic, many of us have witnessed people wrestle with sickness. Some of us may have loved ones who, who, who are dealing with different diseases or ailments. And, and so I want to be sensitive with this topic and I don't want any of us to, to, to be discouraged from having faith in God, but I want our faith to be directed in the right way. So we're not placing, so we are not found having a false hope. And so does the Bible promise physical healing to every believer in this life? First and foremost, God is a healer and a miracle worker. I believe it. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've seen God heal people of all types of diseases. I've seen people healed from cancer. I've seen people healed of diabetes, high blood pressure. I've seen people healed. From asthma, You know, I was born with a breathing condition and my pastor laid hands on me as I was a baby and what the doctor said I would deal with my entire life. I've never had any breathing problems. I, I've never used an inhaler or anything like that. It was a miracle. I believe in laying on of hands. I believe in casting out devils. I believe that God is. Is a miracle worker but does this mean that God promises to heal every believer in this life and I've also heard this question asked in a different way where I've had heard people ask is it God's will for us to be sick is it God's will for sickness to dwell in our bodies and if we have the spirit of God on the inside of us, does the sickness have a legal right in our body? And listen, I've heard this question often used to support the idea that it is God's will for every believer to walk in total healing, not just in the life to come, but in this life. And if someone isn't walking in total healing, It's because they either lack faith or have unforgiveness or bitterness in their heart. And listen, I understand some of us may wrestle with unforgiveness and bitterness, but I think it's very dangerous to come to the conclusion that someone isn't healed or wasn't healed who passed because of lack of faith and unforgiveness. I think that's very dangerous water to tread upon. And listen, I don't think this question should be limited to either yes or no, because I believe that it's a little bit more complex than a simple yes or no. And the reason why I say that is because when we look in the beginning, I think it's clear that sin, death and sickness were not a part of God's original plan because God gave Adam free will, and Adam sinned against God, now we live in a fallen world. And as a result of us living in a fallen world because of Adam's sin, all men die. All men and women are now subject to corruption. What do I mean by corruption? (laughs) We get old. We get sick. We have to fight lustful desires in our flesh. And so I would say, no, sickness and death are not a part of God's original plan. But now that we live in a fallen world, we see that God purposes to use even the bad things to accomplish his purpose in the earth. And this is why the Bible says in Romans 8:28 that all things work together for the good of them that love him and are called according to his purpose. And we can be confident this is a promise that we can grab a hold to not just in the good times but even in the bad times. And so because we live in a fallen world, God will use things that were not a part of his original plan to accomplish his purpose. Listen, and hear me good when I say this. If some of us just take time to look over our lives, some of us would would not have ever come to Christ if not for the bad experiences or traumatic experiences in our lives. Some of the worst times we've ever experienced pushed us right into the arms of God some of us have lost people lost things and have been in near-death experiences and God has used those situations to push us to him and so what was meant for evil was used for your good And so I would I would submit something to you guys and hear me good. I would submit something to you. None of us will be totally healed. Until the coming of Christ. When we receive our glorified bodies and some of you guys may be like, man, I'm not sick. I don't I don't have a flu. I don't have any diseases. I'm I'm completely healed. I'm going to challenge that. Hear me good. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21 says, Christ shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. It refers to your body. When we look at this text, it refers to your body, my body, as vile. What does it mean when it says our body is vile? It, the, the word vile means in its lowest state. When something is vile, is subject to decay, is subject to corruption, it's, it, it, it's subject to death. It refers to this body as vile. Listen, if total physical healing belonged to us in this life, we wouldn't have to wash this body. We wouldn't have to brush our teeth in the morning. We wouldn't have to put on deodorant. Some of us wouldn't have to dye our hair to hide the grays that are, that are popping up in our head and our beard because of us growing old. We wouldn't have to go to the dentist. We wouldn't have to go get checkups at the doctor. We wouldn't have to groom ourselves if this body wasn't vile. And so, no, none of us are, if if we're looking at our original state, none of us are totally healed. Does that mean we lack faith, or is this the result of us having to endure to the end, as the Bible says? When we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, it lets us know that we die daily. In other words, every day is a step closer to the grave. We have a time when we're in our prime. Some of us, when we were in our 20s, we can leap, we can dunk, we can run fast. We have a time when we're in our prime. And as we get older, we have a time when we begin to lose a step. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42 refers to this body as being corrupted or corrupt by saying that it is sown in corruption, but will be raised in incorruption. So when we look at sickness and healing in the Bible, we have to understand that there are two types of healing and sickness that the Bible refers to. There is a spiritual sickness and there is a physical sickness. And there are times in scripture where it's referring to one and not the other. And there are times in scripture where it is referring to both. But we have to understand that there is a difference between physical sickness and spiritual sickness. When the Bible talks about spiritual sickness, it's dealing with our soul. Your soul, my soul, is made up of our mind, will, and emotions. And so when the Bible talks about spiritual sickness, it, it it's dealing with the salvation of our soul. When a person isn't born again, they are spiritually sick. The Bible also refers to us prior to Christ as being dead in sin. And so when we read in the scriptures and it talks about healing and sickness, it is important for us to look at the context of which sickness and which healing it is referring to. Yes, we are physically sick or we have to deal with physical sickness because of sin, which is a spiritual sickness. And one day we're all going to be healed. We're all going to be totally healed and have glorified bodies. But when we look at scripture, it gives us some promises concerning healing, not just in the life to come, but also in this life. And so when we look at Isaiah 53, this is often a scripture that is used when dealing with not just spiritual sickness, but physical sickness, where in in, uh, Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, um, by his stripes, we are healed. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is this particular verse referring to spiritual sickness or physical sickness or both? And so what I want to do is I want to I want to start at verse four instead of going right to verse five. And I want to read all the way down to verse 10 just so we can get the proper context. So when we look at verse four, it says, surely, and this is prophetic talking about Christ's sacrifice for us. This is the prophet Isaiah prophesying about the Messiah and and the sacrifice um, of him shedding his blood for us, that he will come and shed his blood for us. And so verse four starts off by saying, surely he hath carried or borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Verse five, it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. That deals with the soul. He was bruised for our iniquities. That deals with the soul. The chastisement of our peace. That deals with the soul was upon him. And with his stripes, We are healed. Verse six, all we like sheep have gone astray. That deals with the soul. We have turned everyone to his own way. That deals with the soul. And the Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. That deals with the soul. So listen, I will submit something to you guys. The healing in this particular text of scripture is dealing with spiritual healing and spiritual sickness and spiritual healing. I would submit to you that is not addressing physical sickness. And if we continue reading, it goes on even further in verse seven, it says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison from judgment and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression soul of my people. Was he stricken verse nine and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence neither was any deceit in his mouth yet it pleased the lord to bruise him he hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin so he shall he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand listen this whole chapter is dealing with spiritual sickness and spiritual healing it's dealing with the redemption of our souls it's dealing with salvation and so and and and, and though this particular chapter isn't Dealing with physical healing, that doesn't mean that we have to doubt that God is a healer. No, I'm not, I'm not, my purpose is not to discourage us from trusting in God or trusting that God can heal. But my goal is for us to rightfully divide the word of truth so we can grab hold to the promises of God and walk in sound doctrine not swaying to the left or right and so when we look at James 5 I want to go to James 5 because this is another um, chapter that I often hear applied to physical sickness Um, James chapter 5 verse 15 says, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. But let's read starting at verse 13. And this is how I, I usually study scripture so I can get the proper context. And I'm, and And I'm no, in no way claiming to have all the answers and know everything. But when we look at this text, starting at verse 13, it says, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up and if he have committed sins they shall be forgiven him confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then if we go down to um, verse 19, it says, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. And so. One thing I do think is abundantly clear in this in this chapter is that it is dealing with spiritual sickness and spiritual healing. But in my opinion, and I and I think this is a strong opinion, I do think this chapter does also intertwine physical healing in there. Um, but listen, and I'm not mad if someone believes that this text is dealing with physical healing, but I also believe that when we look at the scriptures, do we see instances where God heals people in faith? And the answer is yes. But are there times when people come to God in faith and they don't receive a healing? I believe we also see that as well in scripture. Like if we look at second Timothy chapter four, verse 20, we see one of Paul's disciples and it says that Paul left him sick. And so it, it, it doesn't say why he wasn't healed. It doesn't say that Paul prayed for him to be healed and he wasn't healed. It just says Paul left him sick. Also, when we look at second Corinthians and I think this is so important for us to look and and, and this part, listen, when I say this show is important, all of it is important because I'm getting to, I'm working my way to the promises of God right now as I work through these things. But when we look at second Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul asked the Lord to take away the thorn in his flesh, which was actually from Satan, the Lord doesn't heal him, but responds and says, my grace is sufficient for, for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul lets us know that despite this thorn in his flesh, which he refers to as an infirmity, I believe in verse eight, which can either be a physical infirmity or spiritual infirmity, but he lets us know that the Lord is actually using this infirmity to keep him from becoming conceited and full of himself to get glory out of his life and to bring him to a place of maturity and power in him. Even though the thorn is from Satan, As the scriptures say and so here and and listen catch this and so here we have Paul who God is using to raise the dead to cast out demons to win people to the Lord but when he goes to God about his own infirmity God responds and says my grace is sufficient this is why It can be dangerous hear me good this is why it can be dangerous to think that just because God did something for someone else that he's obligated to do it for you because what may be good for someone else may not be good for you one person can receive a physical healing and glorify God while another person can receive a physical healing and forget about God. And this is why I think it's so important to pray for the will of God to be done. Like, I don't think it's anything wrong with taking our desires to God. But I, I, I think it's important as we take our desires and wants to God that ju- that just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he said, if it be possible let this cup pass from me. But he followed that up with, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And I've, I I I hear I've heard people say things like, well, God and I and I've actually said a lot of these things before. Well, God is not a respecter of person. If he healed her, he'll heal you. And they'll use Acts chapter 10, verse 13. 34 where where peter is saying i i i discern that god is not a respecter of persons to apply to physical healing god having to physically heal them here on earth and that's not the context of that particular scripture what peter is saying is he recognizes that salvation is not just for jews but the Gentiles are also grafted into salvation. And so as a result, he says, I perceive or I discern that God is not a respecter of persons. And so God doesn't love Jews more than he loves Gentiles and that he shed his blood for all men. And so that is the context of that particular verse. But when we take verses Like, oh, God is not a respecter of person. If he healed you, he has to heal me um, or, 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 or whatever like that. When we do that, what happens is we open ourselves up to fear and doubt when we believe God said something that he did not say. As a result of us misapplying scripture, to our lives and our circumstances. I've seen so many people give of their time, energy and efforts, time and money, um, having true fruit of repentance in their life, serving God, sowing. And and when when what they're asking God for doesn't happen, they they lose faith. Because they were told if you do A, B, C, and D, God is going to do E, F, G. And when it doesn't happen, because they were told God is obligated, now they're in a position where they have a fear and lack of faith and doubt, which we all deal with, is actually strengthened in their life. Whereas if they had an understanding or if we have an understanding that God is sovereign in the good and the bad and that he will he will uh, sustain us and keep us regardless of what happens. Now we're in a position where we can truly walk in confidence and faith in God, regardless of what comes our way. And it doesn't mean that things uh, will be easy. But now we have an accurate understanding of God's sovereignty and and how he operates in our lives. He doesn't just use the good, but he has a purpose even in the bad to bring us to a place where he gets glory out of our lives, to bring us to a place of maturity and growth in him. Like I'm reminded of the scriptures, the Bible even says, that Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. And so it's important that we understand that God has a purpose for everything that he allows in our life. And we have to be confident that just as he said in his word, he will never leave us nor forsake us. And with all this being said, I want you to hear me good. I want you to hear me really good when I say this. There are times when God will allow the enemy to attack. We've established that. There are times where where, where God will allow hard trials in our lives. Like he did with Paul, like he did with Job. But as we understand what the devil meant for evil, God meant for our good, we cannot fail to understand the authority that we have in Christ. God gives us authority and power to endure through the test. He also gives us authority and power to take authority over the devil and to proclaim the gospel. And so there are times in our lives where through the power of prayer and through the name of Jesus, God will cause us to pray and rebuke the hand of the enemy and the enemy will flee. But there are also times where the where God will allow the enemy to remain in our lives for a season or for a period of time to endure the test. And I'm reminded of Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew chapter four, as he was tempted. The enemy did not leave Jesus right away. Even though Jesus had authority over the enemy, while the enemy was present, Jesus took authority over the enemy while he was present by standing on the word of God. With every temptation, with every trial, Jesus reminded the the devil what the word of God said. And so don't get discouraged when your situation doesn't change right away. Stand on the word of God. It isn't by power, our power. It isn't by our might but it is by the spirit of the Lord. And so as we understand our identity and who we are in Christ, I'm reminded of Mark chapter 16, where Jesus commissions us in Mark chapter 16, verse 15 through 18. And he says unto us, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick. And they shall recover. See, we have to endure and position ourselves to be used by God. And so I want to transition and end with what are the promises of God? What are promises that we can grab a hold to right now? 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verse 12 says if we suffer with him we shall also reign with him we can also look at Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 where God promises us that he will never leave us nor forsake us we can look at Romans chapter 8 verse 28 where he promises to work all things together For the good of us who love him and are called according to his purpose. I don't know about you guys, but if God was only working for my good in the good times. I wouldn't I would have no hope. In the bad times, but because I know God is God and he is in control Regardless of good or bad, I can have confidence that even in my darkest hour, even when I can't see it, even when you can't see it, God is working all things together for your good. And you can rest in that another promise that that you can hold on to is found in Matthew chapter six, verse 25 through um, verse 25 through 34, where Jesus talks about if he clothes the lilies of the field and feeds the birds of the air, how much more important are we than the birds of the air, the lilies of the field. And if he does these things that we can be confident that he will clothe us and feed us and that we don't have to worry about food and clothes as long as we seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. He says all these things shall be added and so we can be confident that our God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. See when we He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Some of us forfeit our authority in Christ when we give more attention and more reverence to our problems than him. He says, don't worry about. Your earthly needs. Fix your eyes on me. Seek my kingdom and my righteousness first. And he gives us these promises that we can hold on to. I'm reminded of also another promise in John chapter 16, where he talks about the Holy Spirit. And he lets us know he will give us the Holy Spirit, the comforter who is our comforter or who is the comforter. And he will lead and guide us into all truth. He will reassure our hearts of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, and he will convict us of our sin of righteousness and judgment. And this is one of the reasons why I've been stressing the importance of us fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our life's GPS. He is who leads us in the right direction he is who when we're going the wrong way he corrects us and say hey you need to focus on this way the Holy Spirit is God and he is in us working of his good pleasure and so many of us feel defeated some t- many times many of us feel overwhelmed a lot of times and feel um, overtaken by doubt and fear because we're not communing with the Holy Spirit it's like having a a weapon that changes the whole playing field and 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 refusing to use it and so I'm learning I have to tap into my authority and that is spending time with the Lord he says when you draw nigh to me I'll draw nigh to you He says, knock and it shall be open, ask and you shall receive. And so some of us need to get our focus off of our problems and get our attention to the Lord. We need to, as Paul cried out to God about the thorn in his flesh, he, 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 he talked about the thorn. He, he gave God his weaknesses He gave God his problems. Jesus said, cast your cares on me, for I care for you. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. And I'm reminded of Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. The word of God lets us know not to worry about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication through thanksgiving to make our requests known unto him and he gives us that this promise that promise that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep us through Christ Jesus so in in this in this chapter Paul as he writes under the unction of the Holy Spirit he lets us know that when we go to God in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving Making our request known before him that God will actually give us a peace that surpasses our understanding. What that means is God will give you a peace that doesn't even make natural sense. He will give you a peace that doesn't that isn't based off of your external circumstance. God will give you peace in the midst of a of the furnace. He will give you peace in the midst of a pit. He will give you peace in the midst of a prison situation, as Paul writes in the prison, because greater is he that lives on the inside of us than he that is in this world. And so we have these promises in him, but it is time for us to add works to our faith. For the Bible says that faith without works is dead. And so as we begin to press in in prayer, press in in fasting, press in in the word of God, we will begin to tap into the power of God. That has nothing to do with material gain that has nothing to do with our exterior circumstance where we can find contentment in him regardless of our circumstances, whether in good times or in bad times, God, you are my source. And we have these promises that he gives us. Man, I don't know about you, but I am encouraged. And I pray that we surrender to God's word. surrender to His will. I want you guys to be encouraged. I want you guys to know that God is with you and he cares for you. And I would I would pray that you guys take I would pray that you guys take notes when you hear this. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please feel free. To 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 message me or write me, go to pathofrevelationnow.com. Leave your prayer requests, leave your suggestions, leave your questions. If you want to sow into Path of Revelation, my cash app is Gabriel T Parker, or you could PayPal me at now at gmail.com. It's the PayPal. Listen, I thank you guys for tuning in be encouraged. You are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Listen, thank you for tuning in to the Path of Revelation podcast, and this is where the culture meets scripture.